How you doing, man? You good? First of all, I'm doing good. Secondly, let me say, yeah, this is how much I like you and respect you. You don't need to let me listen to anything before you broadcast what you have edited. Okay. And I love being able to say that. Thank you. Yeah. That, that's, you. that's, that's, that's how much credibility you have with a lot of people that have been interacting with you. Thank you very much, man. I greatly appreciate that. Can I request that you include that in the opening? It's in. My name is Aldo Martin, and this is the Reclamation Podcast. So, ladies and gentlemen, today we have a special guest. I got to come up with a different thing because I say that about everyone, but every guest is special. But today is somebody that has become a friend of mine over the past uh, few months, right? In 2021, I didn't know who this young man was. and, And in 2022, we now know each other. His name is James Lloyd. And James, I just want to introduce the the audience to you. If I'm not mistaken, if I'm not mistaken, James became a disciple as part of the Boston movement in the early 80s? Yeah, there there was no Boston movement when I got baptized. Okay. Uh, I was baptized October 8th of 1978. Oh, right now. Yeah, and I was baptized down in Durham, North Carolina at the Coal Mill Road Church of Christ, okay. which at that time had Steve Pipkin as a campus minister, and also Doug Arthur was in that same ministry with me. So, yeah, I was baptized. In fact, went up to Boston three months before Kip even arrived. I oh. was already living in Boston. Oh, okay. So we, I, I was up there before he even arrived. Yeah. And uh, which is pretty cool by itself. I certainly was one of the uh, 30 would be disciples that met in the Gimple's living room. Sounds However, like- I must say, and I will mention it because I just think it, 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 it bears a mention. I'm not in any of the pictures that show the 30 <laughs> would be disciples. I don't know how the heck that happened. I'm a big guy to a race out of a picture. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Hold on. I, I think I might have misunderstood that. Did you say you're one of the 30? Yes. You're one of the 30? I never knew that. Dude, the 30 was after Kip arrived. Ladies and gentlemen, we're speaking with one of the 30. Woodbees, W-O-O-D-B-E-E. <laughs> I was one of the 30 Woodbees. Oh, man. Okay, even better. All right, folks. So we're speaking with James Lloyd. I like to refer to him as LL Cool J. That's right. I, I remember that. And if, and, if, and if you guys don't know what I mean by that, it literally means the Lord loves cool James. <laughs> oh, I didn't even know that. I liked it even before you explained it. I just we, wanted to be cool. That's what we're doing. And after joining the Boston Movement, if I'm not mistaken, James, you, you went on to uh, help plant the church in London in 1982. Is that right? That's correct. And then after some time after that, you went and planted some churches in the Far East. Was it Singapore? Well, that's a little bit of an explanation. Uh, I was leading that team up until the time when it was time to go off. And at that time, it was decided that I would stay in London and not actually lead the team in Singapore, starting with its first service. My mother joined that Singapore team and was on the Singapore team right from the beginning and was there for years. 
Yeah. Uh, but I did, I, I ended up not going to Singapore and it was one of the real heartbreaks for me with my time uh, in the ministry. By the way, long before I ever got involved with the uh, International Churches of Christ, I was raised uh, in a very strict Southern Baptist household. My dad was a Southern Baptist preacher my entire life, and I don't mind confessing that when I was very young, I had a drug problem. I was drugged to church every Sunday morning, (laughs) Sunday night, Wednesday night, Friday night, prayer service, Saturday morning, get together. (laughs) RAs. Funerals, (laughs) Funerals, <laughs> weddings. You know, you I know. had a drug problem. <laughs> yeah. So thank you for introducing that to the audience. Heck yes. But, but here we are in season three of the Reclamation Podcast, and James, I met you. I made your acquaintance a few months ago, and and we spoke, and I think we hit it off, and sure. you've had like myself. And everyone else who listens, even though we're former members, we still have a relationship with the church. Yeah. Regardless, whether it's in the past, uh, present, or future, there's a relationship there, and there's something that will always be a part of us. But I want to go back in time a little bit, James. I'd like to go back to when the ICOC uh, began in 1979, Oh, so as the story goes. Okay. And back when it was part of the COC. Now, members of the COC, congregations around the country, began being sent to Boston uh, or voluntarily went to Boston to to receive training, right? To receive training in the, the Boston movement or whatever it was called at that time. Maybe you could tell us since you might No, been- you're right. And it was uh, it, it was the Boston church at that point. It had okay. not yet become the Boston movement, but it, but it had become the place to be to get training numbers were being uh, had like never before and by the way the fact that it was happening in new england caught a lot of attention this is not where this is not atlanta so up in new england people are coming and so what happened is i don't think many were sent to be trained to be honest with you uh aldo i think very many of them came of their own regard to be better trained because they had good hearts and wanted to be more effective can you tell us what this training looked like? Sure. Uh, Kip was in charge from the start. So let's, we'll make that very clear. And Kip was a lot more in control of all of this training. Uh, it might be a good time for me to pause and say, so I'll make sure I say it at least once. Kip and I are not on great terms now. I won't say a lot of things today that will probably, uh, he would be that happy to hear. I'm guessing that. Having said that, There were many times when I was in Boston and even when I was in London, when I said, even though I disagree with the way Kip's doing this, I wouldn't want to be in charge of all of it. I'm pretty sure he's doing better than I would be doing if I was trying to head all this up. And I think that's a good point to be made because when those guys came from churches all over the country, Kip did a good job of welcoming them into our congregation. Hmm. Uh, He did a good job of, putting them in a place where they would get a lot of instruction from the better, the top echelon of our leaders. So that he did a good job. These people were leaving careers and coming for two years, uh, whatever, to get trained. Uh, He made sure that they 
they came in like all the rest in that they had to be involved in personally studying with people, meeting people, and helping them become Christians. For a lot of ministers coming in, that they had given that up years ago. And, and uh, you know, when you become a leader in a church, but he got them back doing those things again, which they loved. Uh, he was a lot more organized. He had a plan. It was bigger than a plan. It was a mission. And I think sometimes Kip doesn't get the credit he deserves for attracting that many super talented men and women to come and train. And it's the reason the church grew so much. You said, I think you said something about two years. How, how long did this training take? Oh, it was different for everybody. Uh, and there were some that might come and say, I've only got one year. My church is supporting me for a year to come here. But for the majority, the move, even though if it was uh, initially a temporary, let me check it out, it became permanent. I mean, there was no doubt what we wanted was everybody moving to Boston, uh, especially mature Christians, because we had an abundance of immature Christians, obviously. And these were people that could make a difference and impact within a year, and many of them did. And by the way, not enough, not enough credit is given to the Crossroads Church of Christ, who supplied a vast majority of those men. Most of them were not from traditional churches. Mm. Most of them were from Crossroads who had tried to make it in traditional churches, and it just got too difficult. Was Crossroads something that was a part of COC, or was that a different entity? Crossroads was the original breakoff from the COC. Mm. Crossroads started it all. Kip was at Crossroads. Kip was uh, recruited, as you would say. I was baptized at Crossroads. Um, it's amazing what that group did in what I would call a small town of Gainesville. Uh, it was at, and by the way, Crossroads did it without recruiting people from all over the country to come in and help them do it. And so it was just local? Local people baptized there. I give them a lot of credit. Once more, I, you're not going to hear me say a lot of great things about Chuck Lucas today. Uh, and uh, and I, I think that there was a lot of problems there with that group. A lot of things could have handled been better. I think sin should have been exposed a whole lot sooner. I'm at a point in my life where I say, but he did good as well. And that's kind of where I am. And, what, uh, you know, including raising up probably 200 couples that ended up going all over the world and helping people. They don't get credit. Boston gets the credit because that's where they were sent from. But a lot of these guys were from Crossroads. In Gainesville, Florida. Yeah. Gainesville, Florida. I want to go back to this training. What did this training entail, if you recall? Now, you're talking about for people that moved in? Yeah, for people that yeah, went to the well, Boston that, to Like trained. I said, warmly received. Let's start with that. Yeah. Warmly received, given respect from the start. Yeah. Usually given somebody with great maturity to disciple them, it was a real problem when that did not happen. Yeah. When we would choose one of our 23-year-olds who had been a Christian for a year to uh, mentor, huh, disciple uh, a 40, 50-year-old preacher who had had 20 years of problems. But for the most part, we would put our best working with those that moved in. We would get them, like I said, Kip was an expert at what I'm about to share. I've not heard anyone share this on your show or Steve's or anyone else's. Kip was a master at setting up people for success. Hmm. 
It was one of his highest, one of the highest parts of his success as the overall leader. He and the the term he used set him up for success. Let me give you an example. Okay. If young Charlotte had done so well in her Bible study at Tufts University as a freshman that we're taking a little chance now. She's a sophomore, but we're now making her a Bible talk leader at Tufts. She's so excited. She's so committed. She's so effective. The worst thing in the world is give her a Bible talk. Let it flail. No visitors, no conversions. Now she's doubting herself. Now she's doubting her conversion. She's doubting. Kip would set that thing up for success. And I got to say, I was in the room many, many days when the new Bible talks uh, and the new Bible talk leaders uh, and the new Bible talk, I think they were called assistant leaders, were put together. This would be an eight-hour ordeal, by the way, for the whole church in Boston. But when it was one of those that had great promise, Kip would interject, what are you doing to set her up for success? Well, we decided to bring Mary in there for her. You know, Mary brings visitors every week. And, 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 and I don't think Mary would mind moving there because she's also in college or whatever it is. What else? We've got uh, one sister that's moving in from Gainesville and wants to be involved in the campus ministry. And we're going to put her, Melissa, in that Bible talk as well. I think, Charlotte, it's just going to go great. You can just tell. That's what he did. Mm. I, you know, I've never heard that. Yeah. He I've, was an expert. I've never heard that. He was an expert. And I'll tell you, that carried on. I'm not bringing this up as a negative, by the way. No, not at all. This was so much in our minds, in our hearts as trainees, that when I went to London with Doug Arthur, and we were both married, newlyweds, there was a point where Doug was really wanting his wife to have success in a Bible study and asked me, could she come down to the South London Bible talk that we were doing at at one of the universities. And I said, absolutely. Loved Joyce, always did, always will. And I did a Bible talk with Joyce and bam, 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 just baptism, including Doug Jacoby's future wife was in that. Vicki, I remember Beverly, a lot of people. Doug was thinking the right way right then. He was thinking, what can I do to get my wife? She'll be in, how can I make sure this is going to be good? It's, it's all positive. It's how I want to make sure we don't have a lot of disappointment and failure here. And I think we were all trained in that regard. All right, James, I, I'm at, I'm at a, uh, I'm at a, a fork in the road right now. Yeah. I'm at a fork in the road right now because I could tell you're, you're warmed up, you're revved up, you're ready to go. I have a, another question in mind. I have another question in mind, man. But you're really uh, painting a picture for me of what the uh, the temperature was like in those early days. Yeah, and it sounds palpable. It sounds um, enthusiastic. It yeah. sounds contagious, and it sounds like well, who wouldn't want to be a part of this? Am I oversimplifying? No, you're not. In fact, I'm glad you said that. And one of the reasons I decided I wanted to speak today on your show, I speak regularly on Steve Johnson's show. Steve Johnson, I'm guessing of the people that listen, I'm going to guess 95% are still in the church or in a house church that's still related to going to a church. And maybe 5% are not. I'm guessing yours is the opposite. 
there may be 5% of people that still go to church, but a large, large percentage have left. That's one of the reasons I wanted to be on this show. I want to give encouragement to that group. I really want to give encouragement and I want to say you're okay and it's going to work out and it may take a little more time. I'm going to urge you not to follow my path. By the way, I left 20 years ago. I left before Henry Crete letter was even imagined. I, I left before the rush was even on. It was rough for me and it was hard for me. And I'm happy to share about any of those things that you'd like to hear. But you did, I did nothing wrong by leaving, nor did anybody on this program. And it doesn't mean that we have to have bitterness towards the group we left or the people that we used to interact with. Uh, so anyway, I just wanted to share that because I, my heart is, if I can say anything that helps the people that are still doubting, worrying, or anxiety, then this is my place to be. As we talk about this worrying and anxiety Oddly enough, oddly enough, you know, the church was a, a refuge for people like myself who got a, a real injection of self-esteem yeah. and purpose. And little did I realize that anxiety and things of that nature would be a byproduct. And I want to talk about two words, two words or two sets of words, rather. All right. It seems to me that the church confused spirituality with personality. And we also confused uh, unity with conformity. And certain people were praised and certain people were raised up. Now, I don't think that that's uh, solely an ICOC thing. I think that's just, you know, across the board in different parts of the world, secular or not. Those things happen. However, my question to you is this, James. Have you ever seen an instance where a person who was introverted or or somewhat rebellious, where they kind of, you know, pushed back on certain issues. Do you think that such people were, you ever seen a situation where such people were celebrated within the church system? Well, I'll say this much, and if I don't hit on it, just come back to me. Uh, are you referring to the Flavel Yakely study when you say that? I am. I think that people rarely change. Their personality types. I think people are pushed to in a lot of ways, depending on what organizations they may join. There's no doubt that there were introverts in our church that felt enormous pressure to get out a lot, to be out on the edge, to invite X number of people, give me their names and numbers, prove to me that you met them, I think there were people that wanted to be more extroverted. I think there were people that at times would step out and do a campaign or do something that was not within their normal realm of comfortability. But in the end, they're still introverts. I'm an introvert, by the way. And uh, they say the way you can tell is if you go to a party uh, late at night and you stay for hours, how do you feel when you leave the party? If you're jazzed up and ready to go to the next place, you're an extrovert. If you're drained and need to get home and probably won't go anywhere the next two days, you're an introvert. That's me. And I speak in front of people all the time. That's what I do for a living. But I'll tell you, I spend more time alone than probably any of your friends. And I'm married with two kids. So can I ask you something? So after this interview, does that mean we're not going to see you for like another three days? 
No. For some reason, uh, <laughs> this doesn't it doesn't work. Now it's okay. really interesting, but when I speak, I get jazzed up. Okay. So I'll be jazzed up after this, just the way I am with uh, Steve's programs all you, the time. You know, let me ask you something, man. Let me ask you something. So you you would preach on Sundays, no? Yes. Did you feel that way after preaching? Like you needed a uh, time I away? I, in, I don't think I was in touch with it. I just don't think I was in touch with it. Okay. Uh, but so I don't, I know I wasn't that way after Bible talks I, and it may partly be an age thing. I don't even know. Okay. Uh, I can tell you, I never dealt with depression in my life while I was in the church. And my first day of depression in my life came the day that I got the call that I was out of the church. You got a James, call? We have tried everything. I mean, it wasn't a shock. We've tried everything. It's not going to work. We're going to have to meet and talk about what do we do now? We're going to support you. We don't know where you're going to go. We want to talk about it. We want to give you some money. Obviously, um, we're not just kicking you out, but it's not working out uh, here in Boston at this point. And that was the first day I ever got depressed. I got that information. I still remember going to the master bedroom, the bedroom where we lived, and I laid down in bed and started crying for a, I don't even know how long. I don't know when the last time was I'd cried before then. I remember getting a message. I still remember this sister's name. I will not say it out loud. God bless her. But if I ever felt a little better about leaving, I got a message. I didn't pick up any calls for days. But I remember getting a call, and I recognized her voice. And she said, Brother James, I just heard the news about you getting out of the ministry. And I've got one word for you, brother. Crank. Crank, and I'm going, crank, crank. I just remembered, maybe this is the beginning of me seeing a cognitive dissonance that was here. Uh, that's the best you can do to encourage me today. And uh, so I still remember that. And I did struggle with depression, still struggle with depression, by the way. Well, hold up. What did she mean by crank? What is oh, crank out the ministry? That used to be a Boston term for, I don't care what's going on in your life. You need to crank it. You need to crank it out. So she uh, was get she more was visitors, get more studies, get more baptism. She was trying to pep you up. Yeah, that was it. Okay. All right. All right. Focus on the crank. Okay. Uh, so anyway, I, I hope that may help. I, I, I will say this about the personality. I think what happens when people take tests like this that are in the group, people are not answering how they honestly are. They're answering what they think they should be. They put themselves, whether in Jesus' shoes to take that test or Kip's, one or the other, the leader, and how would they answer? And I think that's where it goes really wrong. Because that, that, that's why all the answers look so similar. That's yeah. not the truth of what those people think for their personalities, but it is what they're trying to be. And yes. it is what they think they should be. And by the way, if you also interview people who had been in the church, but out, imagine that. Again, you're going to see the same bias. Things are just going to be pretty negative across the board because okay. people left. Uh, that's a, that's a good point, right? So it depends who you're asking and, and where yeah. they are in terms of their, uh, uh, their, their, their mindset. Well, let me ask you something based off of that. Was it encouraged for people to imitate the people that were above them? 
Is that well, I, I'm going to tell you the straight scoop on this one. Uh, it was, let's give credit where credit is due. Okay. That dropped by 50% when Kip started the Boston movement compared to what it was at Crossroads. What do you mean by that? Next time on The Reclamation. I don't care if your disciple says you need to wear a red shirt. If your disciple says wear a red shirt, wear it. And if you don't, you're being rebellious.